Hi, this is Jeremy Gritton, art director and story lead for Ori and the Will of the Wisps, and you're listening to the Xbox Expansion Pass. Welcome one, welcome all to episode 45 of the Xbox Expansion Pass, recorded on Sunday, August 16th, 2020. I am your host, Luke Lore, the Insipid Ghost. In this episode, we welcome Ryan McCaffrey to the show to look back on his nearly two decades covering Xbox from OXM to IGN. We'll evaluate the magnitude of Microsoft's decision to delay Halo Infinite. And we take a look at what remains for an impressive slate of games this fall. Enjoy. Yet another week of gaming is upon us and behind us. Welcome to XEP, discussing all things in the Gamerverse as they pertain to the Xbox ecosystem. And as I am wont to do each and every episode, I'd like to start off by thanking two people in the XEP community for brightening my past week of gaming. The first word of thanks and kindness goes to BetterMan77, who not only consistently supports the show over on Twitter, but he stopped into several of my streams in this past week uh, and just offered words of encouragement and fun chats and uh, words of analysis on Halo. And it was a, it was a good old time. So BetterMan, thank you for joining and chatting with me throughout the week. And my other offering of good vibes goes to Ainsley Bowden and the gentleman from the Seasoned Gaming Bitcast, who had me on in this past week to discuss Halo Infinite's delay and some of the massive moves that have been taking place this, this fall going forward. I got to chat with Dan once again from the show and chat for the first time with HR Bomber. Gentlemen, it was a blast. If you guys get a chance, check out Seasoned Gaming's Bitcast. What a pleasure. Halo Infinite has been delayed. There is no bigger news article, news story this week that has stronger ripple effects in the gaming verse than Halo Infinite being delayed. And I say that without trying to be exaggerant, without trying to stretch the truth, but in looking at how Halo Infinite's delay will impact console launches, console receptions, narratives that are being written, this is the biggest news story from this past week in a week that had quite a few pieces of news, including Series X, included the launching of several other games games within the Xbox Game Studio, including Epic and Apple warring with one another and Microsoft on the sidelines for that. Halo Infinite has been delayed. Not a month ago, we were told in marketing speak and in spotlights that Halo would be launching with the Xbox Series X, and that is no longer the case. Announced in a Twitter post this past week by 343 and Microsoft subsequently retweeting it across their social media platforms, Halo Infinite has been delayed until 2021 with no specific time frame beyond that specified. A lot of speculation, but no specification. They cited COVID as a primary reason for the delay and keeping it uh, and keeping people from reaching its higher standard, highest standard possible from within their team, and that they were hoping to avoid the crunch that has been happening to many of the other studios uh, across multiple first and third parties throughout the game industry. Three Four Three Studio Head Chris Lee stated, "Quote: It is not sustainable for the well-being of our team or the overall success of the game to ship this holiday." End quote. And of course, there was a much stronger and much longer, more articulate version of that statement 
uh, put out across those social media platforms. And I got to say, guys, there is a lot of mixed reception to Halo Infinite and to the news that Halo Infinite will be delayed. Wind the clocks back a month or so to when we first saw Halo Infinite. There was not a resounding consensus for what this game was and what it would mean to people. I, like many people, was extremely or was was extremely excited by what I saw. I was very happy to see many of the things I saw in the Halo Infinite demo. The game looked like it was going to be a blast, being back in Master Chief's shoes, having new abilities like the grapple hook, playing Halo in a wide linear fashion that was near open world with lots of gameplay options, and a narrative that placed gamers in a world where they would be playing almost solely as the Master Chief. That is Halo 101 in the best ways possible. Similarly, and quite justifiably, I might add, many a person complained or was upset by what they saw in that very same demo because the showcase piece of Halo, Halo, or pardon me, of Xbox Game Studios platform was showing pop-in and graphical hitching and difficulty as to why this would be the selling point for the next-gen entry into Microsoft's future platforms and future hardware. Now, there are a lot of subsequent ways to break this down, a lot of ways to analyze this. Halo Infinite has the unfortunate burden, or at least it did initially, of being a smart delivery title that would play on technology that debuted in 2013, which means it was in production before that, and was meant to showcase a piece of 2020 premium hardware in the Xbox Series X. That is a difficult task to stand up to. However, If you are five months out from launch, little less, little more, what have you, and you're running a demo to millions of people, the hype for Halo is real. You can see that across all social media platforms. And in that demo, you're seeing pop-in of things like grass and clouds and, and draw distances. Then you have an issue on your hands. And I think that plays a large part into why this this game has been delayed in the way that it has. Maybe they were intended to hit that 2021, or sorry, pardon me, the 2020 launch. Maybe they really were set for a console bit and COVID set them back. And there is no way to dispute that COVID certainly damaged their plans. And the amount of work and refinement and polish that comes in the last 10% of a game's creation is the most important. We've seen that on a number of different platforms in the documentaries of, of God of War, in Neil Druckmann talking about The Last of Us, and in so many other top-tier titles this has been articulated to us. But for whatever reason, they're not able to hit that mark, and it's the right choice, I feel, to delay Halo Infinite. It is a painful choice. I put a video out on Twitter. I'm a staunch Halo supporter. I love Halo as a brand. Uh, And I am emotionally very sad. It's very hard to be objective about this news. This absolutely bums me out. I'm looking over at a shipment I got not an hour after finding out that 343 had delayed it. And in it is the Megablox Halo sword that I was so looking forward to putting together in celebration of Infinite. Along with the Halo Mythos hard hard book, collector's edition novel, or not novel, um... Just, just collection of, of information. And even now, I'm stuttering with my words as I'm bummed out about Halo's delay. It cannot be understated, though, that this was a very important title for Microsoft to get right. 343 has had uh, successes and misses with Halo 4 and 5. And there's no doubt about Halo's importance to the brand. It is synonymous with Xbox. In a time where, at one point, I thought they were branching away, they seem to have doubled down on it. And I have a lot of mixed emotions as to 
the way that this news was handled. I'm curious what happened in the month from Aaron Greenberg and a lot of Xbox BR saying Halo Infinite, 120 frames per second, best on Series X. And then a month later, we're finding out, no, it needs to be delayed because something's not right. It's not good enough. I wonder what that thing is. However, without a doubt, for the games who have received such a mixed reception upon its debut in that demo, it's the right choice to delay it. Clean it up, execute on your vision the way you want to, to have. Avoid crunch if at all possible. We're seeing a lot of, of people saying that, that 343 is having turmoil. I have no knowledge of that. And I have nothing beyond rumors and speculation, and so I don't know if that's even true. However, if the narrative is out there in journalists' minds, in gamers' minds, in the hardcore people that are you know, tweeting and, and creating a public perception, if that's in their mind out and about, it is the right choice to hold off and polish to avoid that narrative perpetuating throughout the, the game sphere. You will find that I discuss this more at length with Ryan McCaffrey in our interview later on in this episode, and I allow him to articulate his own feelings there. But it is a difficult thing for me to to think that it would have been the right choice to to launch in November with the Xbox Series X. There's no doubt that we will feel its absence when the Xbox Series X launches. Halo was meant to be a debut showcase title for that hardware, and we no longer have that. There are other games that are coming out that will certainly show off the system's power, but many of those things are not new. Gears of War Tactics is available on PC right now. Gears of War 5, available right now on Xbox One. Uh, many of the games are going to upscale and do well, but I don't know that you're able to launch a new shiny system, smart delivery or otherwise, with games like Scorn, with games that you can play on your Xbox One. I don't think Call of the Sea, as much as I'm excited for that title, I don't think that will show off your new shiny and give people a reason to dive in. And so I certainly think this will affect unit sales, uh, perhaps not in that first wave at launch where a lot of the hardcore people are gobbling up technology. I certainly don't think it will affect even the second shipment. But a year out, I think it certainly will. And people will already have in their mind, oh, I'm going with this platform, that platform, so it goes. I argued in last week's episode that you do not need to have an Xbox Series X at launch. And in many ways, you might not need, not need an Xbox Series S or X for some time due to smart delivery and due to the availability of PC and due to the availability of xCloud. I'm doubling down on that all the more with Halo Infinite being gone. If you are like me and you want to play on the best of the best and you want to see Assassin's Creed Valhalla running in its best frame rates, you want to get that upscale of Cyberpunk 2077 on the best hardware, then you are probably buying an Xbox Series X and willing to fork down up to $500, perhaps even six in some cases, to have that premium device. But you don't need to have that. You don't need to have that right now. I am disappointed as anybody else that Halo is gone. But I think this also showcased a reason that maybe you can wait and be just fine. If Halo was your game, wait, no problem. If you're like me and upset, work your way through those emotions and allow yourself to recognize that there are a lot of other games coming out. And I'll go through that list in a little bit of things that I'm excited for. And I think you'll find that it is... Uh, a, a worthwhile endeavor to look forward to this fall. I do want to point out that we saw a lot of rumors at one point that Halo Infinite multiplayer would be free. That's confirmed. 
We saw a lot of speculation that Xbox Series X would play at 120 frames. 120 frames per second. We're seeing that that is that is a possibility as well. That is still going to happen if your TV can showcase it and whatnot. The hardware will do it, and that polish will clean it up. There was also a rumor at one point that Halo Infinite might be broken into pieces, meaning it would be released piecemeal. The campaign here, the firefight here, the co-op here, the the multiplayer here, competitive modes here. That is not happening. In fact. Phil Spencer was on Gary Witta's Animal Talking and talked a lot about why people should be investing in an Xbox Series X at all come this fall, and I'll articulate that in a moment, but also whether or not that was the case for them to release the game in pieces. And that was in in consideration at one point, and ultimately they decided against that decision. And I have to think that is the right choice because it allows the spirit of Halo to go forward. Now, I think it best to let Phil Spencer's quotes speak for themselves and then respond to them. On Gary Witta's Twitch show, Animal Talking, Spencer said, quote, Let me start by recognizing the fans and the fact that this is a bummer. It is a disappointing, it is disappointing to people, it's disappointing to us. We were looking forward to the alignment of Halo Infinite and Xbox Series X. In the end, I have to make the right decision. The strength of the Halo franchise, the health and the ability of the team... Are things tracking toward the quality of the game that you want? It just didn't feel like to all of us that Halo would release the way that we would want. I'll apologize to the fans because I've never liked to set up expectations and then not hit them. But I also believe that we're making the right decision in the long run for Xbox and Halo and our customers. End quote. And that, to me, speaks for itself. There is a recognition that Halo was very important to go alongside Xbox Series X, but the health of the team and the health of the product and the brand would not have sustained a bad launch or pushing to launch alongside the Xbox Series X. To me, that's the right move, and I appreciate the way that that was articulated there. It also wouldn't have made sense in the spirit of Halo to not launch with campaign for those who want it, with co-op for those who want it, with multiplayer that is lackluster, and I don't think Halo could have survived that. There's no doubt that 343 put out a very strong campaign in Halo 4, but the multiplayer disappointed some, disappointed enough that it fell out of most popular mindshare. Halo 5, very strong multiplayer suite, the campaign missed the mark. It needs to be simultaneously a great product for 343 to be proven worthwhile in their investments. And I think it's the right choice to delay for that reason. Again, we'll talk more about that particular decision with Ryan McCaffrey later on in the episode, but let me know how you're feeling. Tweet at me, at InsipidGhost. Let me know what's on your mind. Let me know what emotions you're going through on this one. And do you think Microsoft made the right decision to delay, given the way the game debuted in that demo? Because we are in such a unique state and a unique time for gaming where we are roughly two to three months away from the believed to be release dates of November and Microsoft has confirmed that the Xbox Series X will come out in November, we do not know the pricing of the Series X, we do not know the pricing of the PlayStation 5, nor specific release dates and pre-orders at the time of this recording are not available. And so it's an odd time because every piece of news is being gobbled up and rumors are running amok. However, one rumor seemed to stand very strong in this past week that the Xbox Series S is real. We've been calling it Lockhart for months. A lot of insiders, people that are knowledgeable, proven track records, discuss things. And rumors can be absolutely exhausting. And frankly, I am sick of them at this point. But they've all been all we had to go on. However, there is a a bit of a unique approach to this next one. And that is that Lockhart is indeed real, called the Xbox Series S, leaked by retail controllers that retailers have 
that showcased the new Xbox controller showcased in robot white, as it were, with packaging that is very, very similar to a standard Xbox One, including manuals on the inside that say Xbox Series S and X. They showcase both Series S and X. And there is no way to kind of remove that mindset from our minds there uh, that Series S is, is going to be real, a budget approach to a, to compare to a premium product similar to the way the Xbox One's S and S existed at $300 and $500. Whether or not they come out simultaneously, I do not know. I don't think anyone does. But those same controllers had do not sell stickers on them until November 6th. One day off from 11.7, which would have been 117, which would have been a neat little marketing skew. But November 6th seems to be the date. And Aaron Greenberg did come out in discussing around the time with the, this Halo Infinite delay, he did confirm that Microsoft is launching their next-gen product in November. Beyond that, we don't know when and how. Interestingly, in that marketing speak as well, Microsoft has dropped the Xbox 2020 marketing aspect where they would showcase uh, big news each month. That seems to have changed as well. And again, COVID can be a strong reason for that. Difficulties in marketing, difficulties in, in verbiage and comparative to, to what their competitors are doing over at PlayStation or even Nintendo, Stadia, Amazon, etc., I do not know the reasoning for this. What I do not appreciate, though, as an Xbox customer, and I think we can offer some fair criticism, is the consistent changes that they have between doubling down on something like Xbox 2020, Halo's going to be there, Halo's going to do this, and then a month, three weeks, two weeks later, changing that. That, to me, showcases poor, poor planning. If you are saying something and then two weeks later changing it, I have to question the the reason why you are speaking at all and what it was that was so drastic to change the verbiage so quickly. For Microsoft to say that they're no longer doing monthly events in the Xbox 2020 mantra is odd, I think, given that we're still getting Xbox news each and every month. I mean, for goodness sakes, they just had that Samsung event where Microsoft and Phil Spencer himself was there on that digital platform with Samsung talking about what they could do with a gamer bundle and Game Pass. I just don't know what it means, and I think the constant speculation and questioning is becoming near exhausting at this point. I'm ready to know pricing, I'm ready to know dates, and I'm ready to know how I should plan my November to look like financially because we do live in a time where money is finite for a lot of people and it exists in a, in a world where at the moment unemployment is very high in the United States. A lot of people are questioning their finances moving forward, whether or not they can invest in certain technologies, certain certain game systems, if that's a worthwhile endeavor to keep their families entertained. There's a lot to consider in that. I just would I would like some clarity from any and all of the game makers as to what whatever they can tell me, tell me. I I wonder right now what the pricing structure will be for the Xbox Series X given Halo's absence from that launch lineup. There's no doubt that the new Shiny sells systems and they don't have the new Shiny. Even the upscales, even Xbox Game Pass, even xCloud, it's not enough to showcase why the box is so great. And if that's the case and you don't have a new Shiny exclusive thing that looks so great on your console, if you're lacking that, price is your last-ditch effort to bring people into that ecosystem. Game Pass is available in lots of places, but you got a new piece of hardware out there. And if it's priced at $500 and it's competing with, with a device that's equal to that but has the IP, I think you're in a bad spot. 
We know Xbox Series S exists at this point. Where's that pricing land? Is that what you're hoping to, to use to compete with PlayStation on this one? Right now, my gut would tell me that you're going to see Series S at 250 and Series X at 400 There's no logic in that. It seems like it should be 300 and 500 I don't know. No one knows at this point. But you have to think that the clock ticking down does not spell good news uh, in many ways for the way that they're trying to release their information. It is worth noting, however, and I will acknowledge that Microsoft is doing quite well on several fronts. In this past month and a half, we've seen the early access release of Grounded, which hit over a million players in week one. And of course, we got to hear from Adam Brennicky in last week's episode talking about that success to Grounded. It's launch, it launched into Steam, it launched into Xbox Early Access, and rocked it. So you have Grounded. Microsoft Flight Simulator is this upcoming week. Battletoads is this upcoming week. Tell Me Why is coming out. And Wasteland 3 is coming out. Now, none of those games are on the same level as a God of War or a Last of Us 2 or Ghost of Tsushima, but they are five games that Xbox Game Studios is working with or alongside either in a a partial development or a publishing capacity. And you cannot deny that in a subscription service, that is very valuable and a great piece of information. Had Halo Infinite not dominated the news cycle, it would be everywhere that Xbox is, is bringing out five pieces of content and supporting five pieces of content going forward day and date into Game Pass. And that's a big deal, and we should all be very celebratory in that aspect. Uh, what's interesting about this is that they are accessible in almost every place. Microsoft Flight Simulator, not available on console. But all the other games, console, PC, xCloud, that's dope. That's really cool to see. Uh, I... There's a lot to celebrate in that. I like that. I don't think any of those sell you on a Series X, but they should sell you on Xbox as a platform if they're releasing content at a pace like this. There's plenty to look forward to there. I told you earlier that I would look ahead to what the fall had to go with. And when I look at my list of games for the fall that I am excited for, and I'm saying fall pretty much from this point on through the end of the year, because there's a bit of nebulous approach here, and I tend to tie when I go back to work for school as fall, but but take it with, take it with some, some wiggle room there. On my handwritten, note, uh, handwritten notes, in no particular order, the games that I'm excited for right now, Battletoads, Kingdoms of Amalur, Avengers, Star Wars Squadrons, Lego Star Wars, Hyperscape, Assassin's Creed Valhalla, Watch Dogs Legions, Call of Duty Cold War, Crossfire X, Miles Morales, New Super Lucky's Tale, Crash Bandicoot, Outrider, Second Extinction, Call of the Sun, Tony Hawk, Cyberpunk. That is a lot of games, guys, and that's a lot of games, many of which I don't need to pay for because of Game Pass, many of which are still not firmly in release dates, but we know are coming out in some way, shape, or form before January. That's a pretty packed fall and a lot to look forward to. None of that counted the sports games that are going to be available. Doesn't count a lot of the indies that tend to pop up and surprise us and make us excited. And there's plenty of stuff that I've left off because it's not in my personal interest. Series X or not, Series S or not, PlayStation 5 or not, Whatever game you were looking forward to, if Halo Infinite was your jam like me, there is still a lot to play going forward. And I am stoked for it. I'm really interested to try uh, Outriders. That game looks like a lot of fun. I'm really interested to see what Valhalla looks like on an Xbox Series X. You kidding me? That's awesome. Even without the Cyberpunk Series X patch, just to see it upscaled via hardware, super cool. I'm having a blast with Sea of Thieves right now. Imagine playing that with a faster loading piece with that new hard drive. I'm so in on that. There's a lot to celebrate, despite being frustrated by some of this rumor, speculation, timing. And I just wanted to remind everybody to keep that in mind. 
also in what two weeks by now rough no less than a week by the time this episode airs dc fandom will have occurred and you'll get to see suicide squad kill the justice league firsthand you'll get to see wb montreal's batman game you'll get to see whatever else is coming out in that that news piece of cycle for for what wb has to offer going forward is there a harry potter game that we don't know about made by a different studio who knows there's a lot to look forward to for this fall if you're set on getting a playstation 5 rock on that is awesome if you're set on getting a series x rock on that's awesome if you're not sure that any of these devices are worth you spending 500 dollars plus at this point uh taxes new games what have you don't that's cool there's plenty of stuff available on playstation 4 and xbox one on xcloud on pc to enjoy and i just want everybody to keep that in mind if you're not able to buy because of financial reasons, if you're not sure if you should right now because maybe it's not the new shiny that you need for a new piece of console or a new piece of hardware, that's cool. Rock on. That is okay. I will guiltily tell you right now that I have pre-ordered the Razer Kishi, that attachment controller that goes on the side of your phone and essentially turns your phone into a Switch. Uh, when I found out I didn't have to buy a fancy schmancy Halo Legendary Super Cool Collector's Edition, I had a hundred bucks laying around, <laughs> maybe, uh, and I ordered myself a Razer Kishi because I want to go sit downstairs and hang out with my wife and play Battletoads on my on my phone with a Razer Kishi, Kishi controller. I want to jump into Sea of Thieves. I want to play Streets of Rage. I want to play so many of the great games in Game Pass. And of course, in September that launches. So I'm I'm super stoked for this fall and the a lot of the gaming options that I have going forward. And I just wanted everybody to kind of walk back off their ledge if you are indeed worried. All right, now this next news story is odd and I don't quite know how to, to approach it because it's out of my wheelhouse a bit. If you remember, Microsoft and Apple were running into one another because Apple's iOS policies and store policies would not allow Xbox Game Pass to be used on their platform. You could not game stream with Game Pass Ultimate using an iOS device due to iOS store policies. Epic, the makers of Fortnite, specifically using Fortnite as a catalyst for this, decided to have a go at Apple's policies as well, and they created their own in-game store that would bypass Apple and was cheaper. Apple removed Epic's uh, stuff from their mobile products, and then Google did the same thing, and now Epic is going to war. There's a lot of petty back and forth. Why bring this up on the, the Xbox Expansion Pass? This began with Microsoft's Game Pass being uh, targeted, I suppose, by iOS policies in a way that seemed incongruent with what it does with other platforms compared to music with things like Spotify, movies and, and shows with things like Netflix and apps available there. It didn't seem to match up in the gaming space because, of course, Apple, with their impressive install base, wanted a cut. For Epic to take on its many billions of dollars in Chinese support finances and backing there from Tencent to have a go at Apple now leads me to wonder where Microsoft will stand in a year on this battle. Will Apple capitulate to, to what Epic is doing? Will Tencent's money and influence using Epic and Fortnite as a catalyst or the weaponized fan base potentially uh, fr from that marketing work and allow Game Pass to suddenly work over there? And suddenly when I'm talking about my Razer Kishi on an Android and people that have switched over or people that haven't, are they able to play over on iOS? I wonder about this. I don't know where it lands. I did get questions written in about this one and I'm not citing them directly and I apologize. I just don't know where to stand on this. I do know... That it's, it's a good thing for Microsoft that other people are showing frustration with Apple. 
I do know that it's a good thing for Microsoft that there is not going to be a strong monopoly. When trillion dollar companies battle it out for customers' mindshare and money, the customer benefits. So if you're an iOS gamer who was frustrated by the, the news that we talked about last week, this is good for you. If you're an Android user, this is good for you. If you are a user that is making the switch from Apple to Android, this is good for you. Allowing rich, massively rich companies to argue and battle and go through legalities of this uh, for your dollar, this means that your dollar becomes more valuable going forward. And so I just, I, I don't know strongly how you should feel on this. I do know that. Uh, none of these trillion dollar companies are your friend and you do not want any scenario in which they dominate the market solely. Go look at PlayStation doing a very different thing to approach next gen than Xbox, which is doing a very different thing to approach it, approach the next gen than Nintendo. These are good things that we should all be pleased about because they allow for competitive practices to be put into place and you yourself can make a choice as to what you prefer. The same should happen in the App Store space and the game stream spe streaming space. We'll see where this goes uh, on the next end. In a very interesting and, and almost parallel anti-consumer discussion, maybe, I'm not sure if you can really draw a line there, but there's something to be said. Remedy announced that Control, one of the best games of last year, is getting an Ultimate Edition. And if you buy that Ultimate Edition, you will upgrade to the Xbox Series X or PlayStation 5 best version possible, no questions asked. What they left out in that is that if you've purchased Control already and purchased all the DLCs, you will not upgrade to the best version. Unlike many games, and unlike Microsoft specifically, you will not smart deliver if you have Control. They want you to buy an entirely new edition. And this felt gross, and I think a lot of the gaming community reacted appropriately, showing frustration here. If I've spent $60 on Control and then 80, you know, and up to $80 or more getting the DLC and I buy a Series X or a PlayStation 5 and my version is not upgraded because Remedy wants uh, me to buy another $40 version, that feels a little bit gross when next to that I get PlayStation 5 patches uh, for many of my games or I get upgraded by Smart Delivery and Xbox Series X versions. It felt a little gross and it felt a little kind of slimy. For sure, very anti-consumer, I thought, to not punish your initial early adopters or your early consumers or the people that wanted to be in your ecosystem, but it really made bad business sense. If I've purchased some of the DLC and if I purchase all of it or I, or I finish up that last bit, if they had upgraded me for free to Series X, I'm more likely to buy that. It felt awkward and it felt gross. Uh, very similar to the way Take-Two was pricing up the, the sports games, NBA 2K specifically is the one I'm thinking of, but other companies are not. There's no doubt that we should be paying more for the games we get. That, that's, that is non-negotiable. Games are more expensive. They take more to, to get to the masses, and there's a lot of ways that they've tried to balance that out with microtransactions, etc. But games are more expensive. But when you have one company charging more for a similar product to, to another company that's not willing to do it, or you have a business practice like Smart Delivery, and then next to that, others are not taking advantage of it. It does feel a little gross. And I can't say I was really happy to hear that uh, from Remedy's outlets about the next, uh, the ultimate edition of Control, particularly on the wake of, uh, or in the wake of the news for Alan Wake. It's really frustrating there. I do wonder if it wasn't Remedy and it was 505 Publishing. Typically, deals like this have to do with the publisher. Uh, 
I don't know the answer to that. I don't know that many of us know the answer to that. I don't know that we'll find out soon, but I'm very curious, like I am curious about many things here, to read that Jason Schreier article or read Arthur Geese saying something or just find out whatever it is from a gaming journalist to tell me specifically what happened, why it happened, and then I'm able to more strongly figure out how I feel on those topics. This is Steve Downs, the voice of Master Chief Sierra 117 with a shout out to the Xbox Expansion Pass. Keep your heads up during this time of isolation. Stay positive, play some games. Most importantly, finish the fight. Thanks for listening to XEP. Master Chief, out. A lot of you wrote in this past week and I can't thank you enough. Let's talk about a few of those questions real quick. First coming from Todd Oxtra, he says, it seems like Xbox needs a win. With Halo Infinite being delayed, xCloud not being on iOS, and now rumors of an August event being delayed to September, what big move would you like to see Xbox do to get excitement back for the Series X launch? Man, that's a great question. I don't know that you get one, Todd Oxtra. I think the biggest thing you can do right now is somehow have a third-party exclusive deal, the ones that we keep seeing reports that Sony are courting and willing to pay for everywhere else in the industry and Microsoft's not willing to pay for. They need something in that respect. Maybe that's a timed exclusive with Batman, which I, I don't like. Maybe Cyberpunk hits Game Pass day and date. Cool. That'd be a great win. That's a, that's not slimy uh, so much as it is, is good for consumers. Uh, I don't know that there is anything they can do to truly capture the Series X launch in the way that you're talking about. There is no doubt Game Pass is the best value in gaming. There's no doubt that the xCloud inclusion of that is incredible. Game Pass Ultimate being available on PC, Xbox One, Series X, Series S, all of that is good. If you're not in right now, they don't have a new shiny for you, dude. It's just That's just how it is. With Halo Infinite being gone, they don't have a new shiny for you. There's so much going right for Microsoft. If you're listening to this show and you're a PlayStation gamer, you're a Nintendo gamer, I'm telling you right now, you need Game Pass. You don't need a Series X. You don't have to have an Xbox One. You don't have to have a PC. You don't have to have a phone. You can do any one of those of those things by themselves, and you're great. You've got Game Pass in one of those areas. You don't need to buy all of them, I guess, is the point that I'm trying to make. But they don't have a new shiny for you, Todd. I don't think the Scorn or Medium Call of the Sea are going to are gonna serve that purpose for you. And I think you just got to ride that out. Hope that the articles, the narratives, the digital foundries that talk about Gears of War tactics and Flight Simulator and... Gears 5 and the upscaled Forzas and all the games that are coming out like Avengers run and work best on Xbox Series X and S. Available on Game Pass with xCloud, available on Game Pass on PC. I think that's got to be the hope at this point. Uh, and then they need to price aggressively. Dude, real talk, they need to have that Series X at $400. $500 uh, it is not going to move a lot of Series X units, and it's not going to be a good step forward into the next gen on a hardware side for Microsoft. And uh, that's a bummer. If it had Halo, it maybe it would have been different, but if it wasn't going to be God of War quality, it wouldn't have made a difference anyway. It would have been a, uh, almost worse. Uh, you need to price that Series X at 400 I don't think that's likely, but they should do that. Uh, you need Series S to be 200 and you need to undercut the mess out of Sony's digital version and, and really hope that Miles Morales is is not the game that we are all thinking it is. Because right now, no one should be knocking Miles Morales. Yes, that game's an expansion. Yes, it's an expansion. Knock it off, though. Lost Legacy, expansion, great game. Great game for the Uncharted fans. 
Last of Us did this same thing with Left Behind. There are a lot of great expansions out there, and you're telling me that you're going to give one of the best games of last gen a makeover, add you know better graphics, supposed ray tracing, maybe it's 4K, 4K, I don't know, whatever, but it's going to look better, run better, you can platinum that again, and you can play as Miles Morales in a whole other section. That's selling systems for PlayStation. That's selling systems. There's no doubt about that. Microsoft needs to undercut them on price in order to respond. Assemble writes in with his question. He says, I'm very excited that Xbox will allow you to use existing controllers on the next-gen platform. But are there any features or design changes that you wish Xbox would take with the next-gen controller? For you, is there anything missing? Thanks. Assemble, uh, great to hear from you, as always, every week. Great YouTube content as well in the superhero space. I love it. Um, By now, the controller is set in stone, and the biggest difference we're seeing on the front-facing side is the share button. You're going to have a share button, and that would have been my answer, end-all, be-all. We're seeing refinements to the triggers, button responses. You're allowing uh, your Xbox One controllers to work, which is the right choice, by the way. Apple is doing that same thing, or has done that same thing with chargers. It's a good move, meaning that if you have xCloud, don't want to buy a new controller, cool. You got a buddy, you bought the Series X, but you didn't didn't buy two controllers, fine, you can use your Xbox One. That's a smart move right there. That's a real smart move. That helps paint a narrative around uh, around the system that Sony won't have because of the way the DualShock 4 is being incorporated. So I like that. Uh, but the share button would have been the answer. The more people sharing content, ser- Series X, this, that, or the other, the better it is showing off Xbox stuff, the better it is. And when you've got a month and a half like we just had where five Xbox Game Studios titles are coming out, you want people sharing everything possible. So make it easy. And I think that that's the big answer there. Famous Seamus writes in several questions this week. He says, first, we've seen so many games improve this console generation thanks to patches and upgrades. What games or what game do you think had the biggest improvements this console generation? That is a great question, Famous Seamus, and of course I have some bias. It's an Xbox show, and lately I've been playing Sea of Thieves, and Sea of Thieves has seen a tremendous amount of content improve from a very bare-bones launch. Didn't like Sea of Thieves at all, and I am all in this past this past uh, few weeks, and I loved it at the anniversary update. Met the team at FanFest in 2019, loved Sea of Thieves, but that game is totally different, and yet still has the same core gameplay loop. Uh, that it once did, but there's so much content in there. So Sea of Thieves is a strong candidate. Master Chief Collection has gone through uh, any number of upgrades at this point to make it work the way it was intended. Uh, You've got to give props to that as well. I think you can also acknowledge uh, Destiny has gone through a lot of changes, and while that's not Xbox-specific, Destiny 2 has really uh, done a number and done a 180 on the way that it launched and the community feedback. Uh, there's a lot of live service games. I think live service games are the answer here. But uh, my, my answer now is Sea of Thieves. And I would say any and everybody, you got an Xbox, you have a PC, you have Game Pass, please go try Sea of Thieves. There is so much in it that you might find it you love. And there's a reason that it gets those spikes in popularity and people are seeing it. It's that when things die down and you check out the thing you skipped out on before, there's a lot of content there. Try that. It's dope. It's dope. Also, shout out to State of Decay 2. That game really came along quite well and has a probably 20 some odd extra hours of content that wasn't there at launch as well. His second question from Famous Seamus says, so the Halo Infinite delay, I've got to ask, how big of an impact do you think this will have on Xbox Series X sales? 
I, I alluded to it. Xbox Series X sales will be strong out the gate. I think so will PS5. Early adopters, hardcore gamers, they're always going to want that that new shiny thing, that new shiny piece of hardware. But I do think it will damage sales. I really do. I don't I don't see a world right now where Xbox outsells PlayStation in hardware. I don't see a world where they're trying to do that per se. I'm sure they'd be thrilled, but I don't think that's their business model going forward. This is meant to be a stopgap to a world of cloud gaming 10 years from now, 15 years from now. But uh, I do think it will have a massive impact. There's no doubt about that. I think when you see the biggest Series X sales kick will be if Avowed is a big deal. It'll be about the, the Fable, if that's a big deal, if the stuff we don't know about is a big deal. Those sales numbers will truly climb when you have a God of War in your catalog. And they don't have that right now. We don't see signs of them having that right, right now. What they've got are consistently seven seven or better games coming to their platform. I can't talk about Battletoads yet, but I can speak to to several of the games they've put out. See of Thieves, State of Decay, Gears, Halo. Those are all sevens and better, and they're they're good. They're good. You get a lot of good with Game Pass. We're missing the great. We're missing the, the end all be all great. Ori is probably the exception to that, as is Forza. But uh, you need a, you need a God of War, Last of Us, and we, you won't see unit sales spike until that point. Alrighty, guys, that is going to do it this week for Listener Mail. So many of you wrote in, and I can't thank you enough. And if you ever want to write in, you can tweet me at InsipidGhost over in the Twitter space. And, of course, you may also uh, email me, insipidghost at gmail.com, and let me know what your thoughts are. This XEP journey has been absolutely incredible. We're approaching the year mark. We're not quite there, but we're approaching it. Uh, I'm seeing the reviews on iTunes. I'm getting a lot of XEP community engagement, and I, I thank you for being part of that. Last week, we had the chance to interview Adam Brannicky. If you missed that episode, he's the developer and game director behind Grounded, which had hit over a million in, in early access, which was a pleasure. Uh, and this week, we welcome Ryan McCaffrey, someone who's got nearly two decades of Xbox coverage that spans from uh, official Xbox magazine in the early days all the way through IGN, one of the, the biggest sources of news and entertainment in the gaming world right now. He's been covering Xbox that entire time, and it was an absolute pleasure to get to sit down with him and chat. We also talk next week, I believe, with Luis Antonio, the creator of 12 Minutes, and I hope you enjoyed that as well. But specific to this Ryan interview, you will find a lot of insight, and it was a pleasure to have him on. I will tell you, much to my own chagrin, that there was an audio issue on my side. And the week prior, or two weeks prior, we tried to talk Ryan and I, and his mic died, which was a bummer. This past week, a new webcam uh, on my end replaced my, my auto settings and recorded from my webcam microphone on my end, so Ryan sounds fantastic. I, uh, I, I sounded a little echoey, and I'm a really disappointed by that because I worked really hard to set this one up, and it, it really did bum me out, but Antonio Guillen tried to help me clean up the audio. Hopefully that sticks and you guys are able to enjoy it. Ryan sounds fantastic. I think you'll get a lot out of that interview. Just know that uh, my usual efforts of, of being very professional and official were sadly negated by my own nervousness and excitement this time I should have just I should have just clicked over and looked but uh, it defaulted away from me and that that happens I think in the world of podcasting and so I'm doing my best to not be upset about it uh, but I hope you enjoy the interview guys please if you did tweet Ryan over on Twitter at DMC underscore Ryan let him know that you enjoyed the interview of course tell me because it makes my day whenever I see you guys I start my first week back digital teaching. The students are returning to digital classrooms on my end, so I'll be very busy, and I could use the words of encouragement. Have a wonder, wonderful rest of the week. Enjoy the interview. 
play some games, and stay safe, everybody. All righty, ladies and gents, we are very fortunate to welcome on to XEP this week the executive editor for previews for IGN, host of podcast Unlocked, Unfiltered, and co-host for Next Gen Watch, Ryan McCaffrey, with all his years of experience covering Xbox. Ryan, welcome to the show. Yeah, finally. Uh, we were supposed to do this about a week or so ago, a week or two ago, but my microphone decided to stop working at that exact moment we were supposed to record. So happy to be here with a functioning piece of equipment. And happy to have you here. It was a heartbreaker because I know that podcaster curse. It happens to, to all content creators at some point. And uh, watching it happen in real time, I felt terrible for you. Uh, but you recovered and you even followed up the next day or so getting some work done for IGN using a rock band mic, I, I remember. I had to do it. Yeah, of course I had. I was recording. I can't think of the last time that I had to shoot two IGN unfiltered because that's just my monthly show. I do like roughly 12 of them a year. Mm -hmm. I had two of them booked to record on the same day. And of course, it was the day after the microphone died. So, yeah, those two episodes are uh, going to be done off the they were done off the Rock Band 4 USB microphone for Xbox One. Although I was just screening one of them today and it sounded better than I thought it was going to sound. So apologies in advance if uh, you're like, yeah, that doesn't sound super great. I can't imagine anyone can complain, given given the circumstances of 2020, but all, all that you were covering with a, a rock band mic. That's a story to tell for years to come, man. That's, that's awesome. Ryan, you have a career that spans uh, a long time. I think it's fair to say you are seasoned in the gaming industry. You had nine years, if my research is correct, at Official Xbox Magazine over at OXM, and you're working on eight-plus years at IGN. Yeah, I'll be uh, I'll be celebrating my uh, my my career becomes legal. It turns 18 in uh, at the beginning of October. So it's uh, it's been a, it's been a very very uh, blessed run here so far. Certainly so. Very few, I, I would argue, journalists or or people in the gaming space are are capable of making it that long and continuing to be successful. And, and I mean that not as a slight to anyone, but it's an exciting thing to see that veteran leadership continue with you. But go take me back to the days of, of, of starting OXM. Uh, you were a young, dapper man ready to enter into the gaming industry. What brought you to OXM? Oh, that I mean, it, it's it's just a fun story, really. The uh, it's funny now. Like I had to kind of for a while, I was like, I better not tell too many people about this. Mm -hmm. But I had uh, I had I had always been adept in school, specifically when it came to writing and English kind of subjects. Those were always my strongest ones. And I'd been playing games since I got my first Nintendo with my first communion money when I was like eight years old, something like that. And uh, so yeah, just been been playing games my whole childhood and up up right on through. And around high school, I decided, you know what, I'm gonna try to. I, I you know I read EGM and then PC Gamer. I thought, you know what, I that's what I want to try and do. I want to write in one of these magazines. And so I I uh, when I was when it was time to go to college, I thought, okay, well I kind of have a choice here. Do I try to major in English? or journalism. And I thought, well, I think journalism is going to be a little more flexible, so I'm going to go down that road. Went to Arizona State uh, the in-state school. I, I was lucky enough to get a scholarship there, uh, which, of course, big-time party school reputation, but in, in its defense, 
the Walter Cronkite School of Journalism, the journalism program specifically, is actually very, very well regarded. And I did, uh, I had a great education there. And once that came to a close, once I graduated in May of 2002, I, I knew, okay, it's it's time now. I'm gonna. So I I I started uh, putting together a resume and a cover letter, and I sent it out to every video game magazine and website that I could think of. Just just blasted everybody I could. And, uh, and, and back how then, many obviously. Uh, well, that's yeah. the thing. Yeah, it was it was a lot of a lot more magazines then. You know, we're down to one magazine. Well, one in the United States. They're they're sort of still around in Europe, um, but. In the U.S. here, you know, it was there were a lot more magazines then, but there were still plenty of websites in 2002, including IGN, and and I got bites, I got nibbles on the line from a couple of them. Didn't go anywhere until official Xbox magazine reached out and said, you know what, yeah, we've just had someone uh, leave, uh, we'd, and we'd we'd love to talk to you. So at that point, here's the funny part of the story: I did not own an Xbox. I was uh, a Nintendo kid originally because I'm I'm uh, about to turn 40, so I was just the right age in the in the late 80s uh, for the original Nintendo, and then onto the 16-bit era. I had a and I kind of I went through a few of the 16-bit systems, but just one at a time. I never had more than one of them at once. But then Doom was the game I played that on a friend's computer when that came out at the end of '93, and that completely changed my world and. If you're if you're old enough to remember in the in the early 90s there, PCs, computers were not in everyone's house. It was like a special thing. They were expensive. It was a good probably three grand really for a a decent PC and monitor setup. And so I, I had to talk my parents into getting us a computer. You know, the, the argument back then was, well, it's for school. I need it's it for, for school. school. It's, it's, a, it's a type <laughs> papers, you know. So we get the computer and and I end up Really, just uh, after the 16-bit era, I went total 100% PC gamer, no regrets. Uh, so, I mean, yes, I missed the the Saturn and the N64 and the PlayStation 1, but uh, I, I had such a great time. And I, some of my favorite games ever are from that era, the System Shock 2s of the world, the Dooms, the Quakes, stuff like that, Hexen, Heretic. But anyway... Um, so when it's when I'm applying and get this this nibble on the line from OXM, I at that point had my PC. Uh, I had and actually I had at that point I'd started to already dip my toe back into the console waters. I had gotten a GameCube and I think I had just recently bought a PS2 solely because uh, Grand Theft Auto 3 was another game that just changed my gaming world. A friend showed it to me and I was like. This is this is incredible. I have to have this and sought out a PS2, but I didn't have an Xbox yet. So it's once they got once they reached out and said, we'd we'd love to fly you up for an interview. I thought, OK, well, I guess I'd better get an Xbox now so that I can I can honestly tell them that I have an Xbox. So I went out and bought yeah. the original Xbox and Halo and started playing Halo one. And uh, and I was just lucky enough that. I was able to seize the opportunity and impress them enough, and and they hired me, and and that's the rest is history. That's that's such a cool story, and it's it's the the little pillar moments. I feel like a lot of us can identify in those little things, like oh, this arranged at the right time, this came to be. Now, where was Xbox or Microsoft at the time when you're applying? Like, what was their state in the industry? 
Well, the Xbox had come out just under one year prior. I mean, I, I started in October and of 2002 mm -hmm. and the Xbox came out in, of course, November 15th, 2001. So it had been on the market for just about a year. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, it was, it was the upstart. It had, you know, everybody, if you remember back then it had, I mean, Halo was the game changer, but it really didn't have anything else. There were some other decent games. I mean, it had like dead or alive and a few other things, project Gotham racing actually, no, PGR didn't come out till 02. I, eh, I don't remember. Anyway, it was really Halo, and and then that was about it. But but yeah, you know, Halo was or the Xbox because of Halo was starting to catch on. Mm -hmm. And and from there, I mean, we we see Xbox change over that time. You're of course changing in your own career at that time. Through your time at OXM, how much did Microsoft? change in terms of respect in the industry and their strategy and the product they brought forth? Oh, I mean, that's, uh, you could see it unfold. I mean, the, the, the three, everything about the 360 was, well, everything but one big thing was, <laughs> was the right move. They did everything right other than the red ring of death, which, you know, looking back on it, I don't know how the hell they survived that. Because and I think it really it was it was owed to the fact that there was no social media. If there had been social media when Red Ring of Death, like imagine now, if mm -hmm. if the the Xbox One or the PS4 suffered rampant overheating and system failures, it would be a doomsday scenario. But somehow, because social media wasn't a thing. Microsoft, I mean, they did the right thing. They spent the money to, to fix everybody's systems and replace them and repair them and, and then ultimately fix the design of the console itself, and they got through it. But, but yeah, you, you know, it's, they, they did everything right. They launched a year. I mean, I guess they didn't really launch a year ahead of the PS3 on purpose. That was more Sony not being able to make it out till, till fall of 2006. But, but they had great hardware. They had developers on board. They had a ton of great games, many of which turned out to be accidental exclusives because the PS3 didn't come till a year later. Things like Bioshock and and what have you. But um, yeah, they just they had they had great leadership with Peter Moore and and then Phil Spencer running Xbox Studios at the time. And they they really I mean they they got to be taken seriously as opposed to just this company that was going to throw this thing in the living room and just throw a bunch of money at it till it stuck. But the 360 was a real games machine. And, and even you remember the Xbox 360 was the first video game console platform to get a Netflix app on it, just as Netflix was taking off. So they really did cement themselves as, as the centerpiece of the living room. And, and they've, you know, they, they did it. They, they cracked the industry and here they are. They did with Xbox 360 what I think they wanted to do with Xbox One, given the the centerpiece of the living room. And it's funny how we can. I'm listening to your words as you discuss the way that PlayStation rolled out versus Xbox, and you know the the gas that could have been made or or the things that would have landed. And it's it's interesting to approach a console cycle that we're coming up on and wonder how much of that is going to mimic or or the lessons being learned there. Uh, I mean. Uh, do you see parallels in in that experience with with the 360 launch and followed by the PS3 to the Xbox One, PS4, or or coming up on our PS5 Series X uh, generations? Well, I mean, 
it's well chronicled at this point, but every Microsoft with a 360, Microsoft pretty well did everything right. And at that time, Sony pretty much did everything wrong with the, mm-hmm. of course, the price and the ship and not shipping till a year later. And the, the whole, uh, it was, it was, it was, they bet everything on the Blu-ray drive, which ultimately of course won out in the end, but it, it, in the short term, it cost the PS3 a lot, uh, because the PS3 cost a lot. But then, obviously, you know, the story has been told a billion times. It, it, the roles reversed for Xbox One and, and PS4, and Microsoft did everything wrong, and Sony did everything right, and now here we are. The natural question is, do you see the roles reversing again or staying status quo? Uh, can you answer that quickly before I go back to your career? Because I'm getting excited. I don't want to go off too many tangents. But do you see the roles reversing again or staying status quo? I mean, the the... The roles seem to always reverse every so often, but I mean, let's be honest, in the short term, the way digital ecosystems are now and everybody's got their friends list and they've got their digital purchases as the, as the console industry, you know, catches up to the, to steam and the PC industry and goes completely digital. So it's people are, it's, it's a much taller task, a taller order for people to, to just totally switch their platform. Maybe they go, they get both or, you know, maybe they get one first and get the other one down the road. But outright switching is, is more complex now because of those digital ecosystems. And, and quite frankly, as long as Sony keeps pumping out these killer first party exclusives, there's, I, I think the lead is theirs to hold really no matter what Microsoft does, as long as they continue pumping out that these games that are consistently nines and tens. Oh, man, I, you, you said it well. You said it and you said it well. And it's funny how many times we as gamers need to be reminded that power does not necessarily sell its IP, its games, its experiences. Nintendo, PlayStation, I mean, it's it's a pretty impressive right. thing. And, and Microsoft's doing the work on that, of course. We've seen it at the Xbox Game Showcase. I mean, you've got Fable. You've got now Halo's got some more time in the oven. But Halo and Fable and Forza Motorsport being rebooted and, and I think Avowed from Obsidian could end up being the next big thing if it mm-hmm. if it's, you know, lives up to Obsidian's the, the talent we know they have after, you know, they did Fallout New Vegas and they did. Uh, South Park, The Stick of Truth, and they've done, uh, of course, um, most recently The Outer Worlds, and and they have so much experience and talent. And now with a with the full financial backing and create and creative freedom that Microsoft affords them, and they're making a first person open world, you know, Elder Scrolls like seemingly uh, role playing game. I mean, that Avowed could be a big big deal when it comes along in in whatever it is two or three years from now. Certainly, and we're watching Microsoft approach their their Xbox Game Studios studios, and we're seeing them, them talk to all of them about creating the games they want to make. I think you can look at, at recent examples in Bleeding Edge, the upcoming Battletoads, and you can look at the Obsidian's work in finishing out their portfolio and Microsoft allowing that in there into Game Pass. There seems to be a concerted effort to bring content to fill that gaming void at all three tiers, and I use the term yeah. tiers loosely, but you know, double yeah, A and it's fair. triple A. I mean, it, it, are you? Take me back. Would you have seen something a similar strategy? I mean, Xbox Live Arcade existed back then for the the indie ish mm-hmm. uh, quality. Is that something similar? Are there parallels there? 
No, I, I've been I've been wanting Microsoft to bring Live Arcade back for this entire generation. I've I've gotten to tell Phil directly to his face back when we could meet face to face with other human beings. Um, it it mystified me that they ever got rid of it because I mean, and I know I know some people are going to say, well, uh, Ryan, hey Ryan, they've got the ID at Xbox program. Yes, they do, but the difference with Live Arcade was the curation. It, and the curation and the the uh, routine of it. Every Wednesday, Live Arcade Wednesday, we are going to curate a small handful of awesome games for you. And we're going to put them up and we're going to promote them on the dashboard and through our channels like Major Nelson. And we're going we're gonna to get the word out about these. Whereas now, with ID at Xbox, it is it is just a an, an absolute ocean of content every day i mean it's just there there are games a ton of games releasing through id at xbox self-publishing every single day and it's even if the good ones that are out there it's it's impossible for them for the most part with very rare exceptions to to kind of get noticed and and i don't think microsoft is doing enough to help those games get noticed I'm certainly inclined to agree. I think choice paralysis, when you're presented so many options, absolutely sets in. I mean, I can vividly remember Monday Night Combat, you know, playing sure. Rainbow, looking at Braid, because it was the thing to play. It was on yes. the dashboard. And to your point, ID at Xbox pumps out tons of games, many of them incredible, uh, but it's it's tough to find and tough to sift through on that. Uh, and do you see a way or a method in which, if not called Live Arcade, they do a better job of, of executing on that, you know, going forward. Is there a better way in your mind that you can see happening? I, I mean, that's what the people at Microsoft make big bucks for. I've, I mean, I, I'm sure there are plenty of great ways they could go about it. I just mm -hmm. wish they would, whether it's a dedicated tab on the, I mean, whatever the new UI is going to be on the Series X. I mean, there there are plenty of ways that they could, I mean, I Live Arcade, by and large, would work exactly as it was if you, if they just implemented the exact same thing now. So, mm -hmm. and I'm sure there are ways to creatively and, and intelligently evolve it. So, yeah, I'm I would love to see it. Uh, maybe someday it'll finally come back. All right. So I want to I want to take I want to go back to your career a, a bit before I lose that that thread of thought. There, you worked at OXM for nine years. And then you you move over to IGN. What's the biggest difference between working in a magazine-type structure at the time uh, to working in the Internet space? It's the pace of it, for sure, which might seem obvious, but it's really – that was my experience. It, I feel like I've – told, I've told people at IGN this over the years. Like, I, I feel like it took me about a month of working at IGN to adjust myself to the new pace of things. Um, it's, it's just the reality. You know, you're going from – a monthly magazine that you're you're spending four weeks on to uh, to something where there is content every day. You know the deadlines. It's just it's it's just a whole different wavelength of of the way that you work and the way that you think. So that's really it. It's just it's just sort of adjusting to that pace and 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 speed of of uh, workflow. Mm, yeah, and I I can imagine that. Both as a gamer, I said not both, but as a gamer, a reporter, I suppose an influencer is the right word now, if not then. Uh, the methods of communication between all the gaming community, as a reporter, a gamer, uh, and then talking to developers, 
has that communication and the pace at which you guys are able to to communicate back and forth and gamers are able to offer their opinions on things has that changed coverage for anything on your end yeah i mean i guess that i'm sure it has it's i mean getting instant feedback versus a magazine where you'd have to get emails or even when i first started like still physical letters every month yeah you get the instant feedback so you can kind of if you know you know if the audience is really liking something you can double down on it like oh okay uh this this game that we put up a trailer for is getting a ton of clicks let's you know maybe let's talk to the developers let's see if we can get a preview build and do some more coverage of this so so yeah absolutely it's it's uh it's evolved in that capacity do you ever worry that sometimes that attention that if, if gamers are clamoring for more Fortnite content, it's an easy pick out of there. Do you ever worry that if they're clamoring for that and you're providing it, you might miss out on something that might be more up your alley or that, that a, a niche group might really enjoy or miss out on? Well, there are all, I mean, there are always tough choices to be made. I mean, when even, I mean, back at OXM, I would say, you know, we were a pretty small team. It was seven or eight of us most of the time. Uh, and that was the whole magazine. That was including the art director and the assistant art director. So uh, the actual content creators were were a fewer, smaller number than that. Mm-hmm. But because we were dedicated to the Xbox platform and nothing else, and because uh, game releases didn't literally happen every day the way they do with ID at Xbox now, we actually could and we prided ourselves on covering everything. Absolutely everything at OXM to the best of our ability. Now, it's even if if IGN with all of our whole team covered nothing but Xbox or nothing but PlayStation, there's no way we'd be able to cover all of it. It'd be it'd be impossible. There are just too many games. And so, yeah, you always have decisions to make on what you're going to cover and you have to prioritize and, you know, you have a finite amount of resources and and you have to apply them. I mean, there are there are times when we do get to to do what I call taste making, which is, hey, you know, championing some cool game that that uh, we like that maybe not a lot of people know about. But, uh, yeah, it's it's kind of a finding that balance between doing that and, and making sure the audience is getting what they want, which at the end of the day, that's the most important thing. We're there to serve the audience and it's and cover these things for them. So if they want if they want more of something, we've got to do our best to give it to them. Absolutely. And there, another aspect, I think, emerged for game coverage during your time at IGN. And that was and, and still is uh, the way that you have to adapt to covering live service games, whether it's something like Destiny or Sea of Thieves. You recently provided in the last year an updated review of Sea of Thieves over on IGN. And you're also providing early access reviews for certain content, given that that games are now appearing as paid products in early access, not just on the PC platform, but now in the console space. How did you guys, as uh, one of the, the Internet's most prolific video game sites in the world, if not the, uh, how do you guys manage the expectation of saying, all right, Sea of Thieves is getting X amount of updates, Destiny is getting X amount of updates, when do you decide or how do you decide to go in and, and update a review or provide an early access piece of coverage? Uh, that's got to be a difficult task to, to navigate. 
Yeah, I mean, I wish our reviews editor, Dan Stapleton, were here to speak to that because he could speak to it much better than I could. But generally speaking, it comes down to is there audience interest in this? Like if a game there are games that evolve and change a lot, but there might be stuff, something that our audience just isn't super keen on for whatever reason. But there are things like a Minecraft or or like uh, um, some of the examples you mentioned where, yes, these these things have evolved and, and changed to the point where, yes, our audience, uh, it's relevant to them. So let's and and our old review is basically outdated. It's not uh, it's no longer serving the readers because it's a review of a game that actually no longer exists. So, yeah, it's kind of a, a, a combination of of uh, internal bandwidth. Like, do we have the the resources to allocate to re-reviewing this game, reviewing it again, and audience interest? So that's really the the sort of baseline way in which we, we go about that. Gotcha. That's, that's so cool. Now, Ryan, I, of course, I have admittedly been, I, I feel like I have an advantage because I, I feel as though I know you based on your coverage for so long. But I, I want to ask about some of your favorite or, or most fond memories and career highlights uh, thus far. And, uh, you know, in my mind, Unlocked 200, uh, sitting down with Marcus Leto. What, what are some moments that stand out as uh, pinnacle key career moments that you've enjoyed and you think back on fondly? Yeah, I mean, Unlock 201 is the thing where I'm probably never, I'm probably never going to top that as far as like that was, I mean, getting the three former heads of Xbox all sitting at the table together, Phil Spencer, Seamus Blackley, the creator of the Xbox, and and Peter Moore. I mean, that that took, I'll tell you, that took six months to set up. Like it was, because you might think, well, how hard is it? And Turns out when you've got kind of three executive level people like that, their schedules are impossible. And it's like and when you're asking for in that case, that was like an hour and 40 minute interview. And it's 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 not easy to get that kind of time commitment from people at that level in the business world. And and it took you know, they kind of all had to trust me, too, that I wasn't that I was going to, you know, lead a good conversation and, and not something where I was going to, you know, cause of course, remember at that time, that was, that was what, that was 2015. So that was kind of as Microsoft was coming out of the, their real dark spell from early in the, the Xbox one cycle. And, you know, they had to sort of trust me that, that I wasn't going to turn it into a, uh, some sort of like attack on Phil Spencer of, you know, uh, hey, I've got Seamus who invented it and, and Peter Moore who led it through the golden age. Phil, what are you doing? You know, it's, it's, mm-hmm. but they know that that's, that's not how I conduct myself. And, but in any case, I mean, yeah, that's, that is the number one thing that I'll probably always point to. And then the other one that comes to mind that was just such a, a rare privilege, uh, which especially for me, not only in the kind of the greater industry sense, but for me personally, as a halo fan, uh, I got to interview as this was 2013. I got to interview Jason Jones, who's the co-founder of Bungie, and this is a guy who is he he never gives interviews. He's like totally the Wizard of Oz, the man behind the curtain. He just doesn't like being out in the public eye. You know, you always see you see Luke and you see Pete Parsons and and uh, Eric and these other people from Bungie that are that are the ones that are front and center, and and Jason is just a 
behind the scenes guy, but you know, he's the creative engine, one of the primary creative engines of that company. And so actually landing an interview with him, uh, which was, it was the year that destiny launched, which I guess would have been 2014. Uh, actually, I think I said 2013 earlier, but, um, anyway, getting to sit down with him was a real treat. And, uh, that, that turned into, that ended up being like a three part interview on IGN. So that, that was really cool, you know, to, to, to land somebody that just never does interviews. That's, that's so cool to me. And, uh, the next question is, have you ever had any moments that, uh, and I don't mean cringe with people specifically, but seen moments in the, in the industry where uh, a company might announce something, maybe I'm thinking about the Connect presentation or any, any that made you think, hmm, maybe not the best move in this particular case. Well, I remember being in the, in the room for the E3 2013 Xbox press conference. Uh, and I was sitting off to the to the right of the stage, or I guess, you know, whatever, the right side of the stage was what I was looking at, sort of off to one side. And, you know, that that was the year there where they're, they'd done the Xbox One reveal event in, the month before in May, and that was the whole TV, TV, TV thing that got lampooned online. And so here they were showing off the games for the Xbox One, and it was it was actually going pretty well. You know, they were showing off cool stuff, but then I remember uh, from where I was sitting, the reason I say that I was sitting off to one side is I could see the stage in front of me, of course, but then if I looked to my left, I could see the large teleprompter screen for the speaker on stage, mm-hmm. and so it was the end of that conference, if you remember back to it, and I'm lo- and I look over, and I see... On the teleprompter, before Phil Spencer reads it, I see the $499, and I just looked over, and I was like, oh, no. And then it was like watching it unfold like a slow-motion car accident and just turning back, and then he says it, and the air came out of the room. It just completely killed the entire momentum, the whole thing, and then obviously you know what happened next which was later that night because Sony would go last always at E3. They did their whole, here's how to share games on PlayStation 4, and they just hand the disc over. And so, But even even before that, just the, the $499 thing, because, of course, the 360 had been so successful being a $400 console. Yeah, that was, uh, that was definitely like one of the weirder uh, moments that I, that I got to be in the room for. Mm, I can I can just imagine the the awkward, whereas the excitement builds and then is just removed. And it's again an in- interesting parallel to go to our previous conversation of, you know, Sony doing so well, and then the price point uh, for the P- PlayStation Three, and then to see Microsoft do something similar with the Xbox One, it makes you wonder how Microsoft and Sony will be approaching releasing this new console at the prices they will, uh, whatever they, they deem them necessary to be, and the SKUs that they do. Uh, in in a world of of COVID, in a world of unemployment, and mm-hmm. in a world of subscription services, uh, do you have any like mindshare things that are sticking out to you as major do's or don'ts for either company? Well, it's clear that neither one of they've both been burned, and neither one of them wants to go first. You know, we're here. It's it's historically unprecedented in the console industry, at least in the modern console industry, that we're recording this on August twelfth. The the Xbox Series X is out in November, so and then presumably the PlayStation 5 will be 
pretty close to that of uh, if not the same month right you know right close by mm-hmm. and we still don't have the prices for these things so neither one of them wants to go first uh it's it's pretty wild to see to see this unfold i mean th- this is definitely i mean i guess you remember every console launch because they're they're infrequent enough that you know i mean i've been like I said, I, I'm going to be celebrating my 18th anniversary in uh, working in games media, and this is only going to be the fourth. Let's see, wait, the three, six, no, the third. This is only going to be the third console launch that I have uh, been here to cover in in that amount of time. So you know, these things don't come around often. We remember them no matter what. But yeah, this one is definitely going to stand out as you know. Those it was the COVID year, and it was uh, you know it was kind of the the two of them really really kind of diverging their paths one more software services one just like sticking to the traditional you know throw your old machine in the garbage you've got to buy the new one uh mandate so yeah it's uh it's it's going to be fun to look back on this in like a a couple years when we're when we're a good bit into this new generation to kind of remember back like oh yeah remember remember how strange that whole run-up was Certainly. It's, and it's funny how much hindsight uh, really clears up the fog when you look at events. Right now, I think a lot of gamers were wondering, well, why was Sony so quiet? Or why was this conference, uh, including this game but not this game, why would they do or uh, why did they or didn't they show gameplay here and there? And looking back, a lot of decisions will make more sense once you have the full context uh, of what's going forward there. Do you sense, and I get the the vibe here, but do you ever get a sense that Microsoft at the moment is struggling with its messaging of, of being forward and backward compatible, smart delivery, next to the most powerful console mantra? No, I think, I think they've mostly been pretty good about it. Um, they've had a rough few weeks, which I just wrote about on IGN, kind of capped off by this Halo delay. Um, you know, they had the, the, the series S thing leak on the, on the controller that leaked so darn early. And they had, uh, Apple come in and, and roadblock them on, on the project X cloud on iOS devices. And, you know, the, the, the less than ideal response for Microsoft to the campaign debut of halo infinite. But, um, but yeah, it's, it's been, uh, See now I just forgot your question too. You got to prompt me again because uh, this I'm getting old. I've getting been doing this too long. You're I forget great, where man. I was going with that. No, you're great. It, it, the truth is, I look at the marketing for Microsoft, and like you, I share the whole like things have been going pretty darn well from the Game Awards on right. until just recently. It felt good, and something about when I look at it currently at the moment, the world's most powerful console. They did it with the One oh, yeah. X. They're doing it with the Series yeah. X. That seems in contention when some of the games in this first phase have to work on 2013, and then because of that, it's really 2012 or an 11 tech. Do those two things run at odds to one another? I mean, maybe that's the thing. We're it's another one of those things where in two years we'll find out, right? We'll we'll be able to look back and see like did because a lot of those games at the at the Xbox Game Showcase a few weeks ago specifically didn't are not coming to the one. They are Series X games because mm-hmm. uh, they're they're far enough out where they're not going to tie themselves to the legacy hardware. So yeah, it's that that question kind of will remain to be seen. But certainly for the time being, I mean, Halo was their big chance to 
wow everyone technologically. This is our flagship game on our on the most powerful console. We want to blow you away, and they didn't do that. So, so yeah, they do still have to to prove it that that this they have to show and not just tell that this is the most powerful console. And and you know we'll see if when the when both machines come out and we get third party games like it's going to be interesting to see how cyberpunk runs on the series x versus on the ps5 and and assassin's creed valhalla and call of duty you know if those games if if we start to see some noticeable differences in either frame rate uh, and or resolution and or texture detail i mean that that will start to to really definitively answer the question, but I feel like for now, we we can't. I've, I'm inclined to agree with with all of that logic, and uh, even looking at Sony's lineup, it doesn't nothing seems to jump as this is full next gen all the way. Uh, and I wonder it, how much COVID factored into that, or simply right. the pressures of creating a new system. Very rarely do we see brilliance at the beginning of a generation, anyway. Yeah, I mean, I thought Ratchet and Clank was far and away, for me personally, the most impressive thing that Sony showed because just the 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 rift and then jumping right into the new worlds, like, okay, that's, you are leveraging the SSD drive, the custom SSD drive. You could not do that on the current, you know, on the PS4. So yeah, it's, uh, and, and you know, Spider-Man is, is going to be their big day one launch title, it looks like, but we really didn't see proper gameplay of that so yeah it kind of remains to be seen what how sort of next gen that's going to be agreed i'm looking forward to you know reacquiring the trophies in spider-man yeah and i'm curious to see side-by-side comparisons that really showcase the power of the playstation 5 you know as exciting as that is ryan a lot of this next gen strategy for microsoft is is built upon pillars you've got the hardware pillar you've got the subscription pillar and you've got xcloud how important is xCloud to Microsoft's strategy going forward? Well, I mean, they've been talking the talk for years about we want our players to play games anywhere, and xCloud will be the the probably a if not the defining vehicle through which that happens, provided they can sort it out with Apple. Because uh, I mean, I'm an iOS user. I know, you know, worldwide the the Android is far and away the definitive. Uh, platform worldwide here in the u.s it's it's a lot more uh, apple heavy it's it's a little closer to even i think but um but nevertheless they they do need to solve that apple problem somehow some way but but yeah i think uh i think the way that microsoft has been approaching xcloud so far is a lot well it's they've been executing on communicating the vision better than google has with stadia and i don't I don't say that to tear Google down. I think the the built-in advantage that Microsoft has is that it's it's just a part of the Xbox ecosystem that you already have rather than with Google they're trying to they're asking you to buy in and subscribe to a totally new thing whereas with with Xcloud you know you can you you have the option to play all of your games on a local piece of hardware in your living room and then it's just it's like a bonus where you can go out and if you're 
you're at, uh, you know, you're at the, the, on the train or something, or, or you're at a friend's house and you've got your iPad. Well, let's maybe not iPad. It's going to be an Android tablet for now. You can bust that out and be like, I'm just going to fire up some, some Halo Infinite right here. So it's, uh, they've done a, I think a really good job of, of integrating it into the Xbox ecosystem as a, as a, as a key piece of it. I will sheepishly tell you that I, when I found out that Halo was delayed, and that I wouldn't be buying the inevitable collector's edition, whatever cool statue it has. I, w- I bought a Razer Kishi just because I wanted yeah. to enjoy xCloud. And that's that was a neat initiative as well to see that stuff. Yeah, is that uh, the one that that ha- that uh, your phone, like it goes on either end of your phone, so it almost turns it into like a Switch kind of form factor? Exactly. Yeah. And I mean, I look at my Switch with admiration. I love it. It's sitting right over here. But my phone screen is better quality. Right. And, and there's something to that. And similarly, if I can link up and play with my friends and go a few rounds in Gears or Halo sure. or Dungeons, and that's a that's a neat uh, aspect there. We had a, a, a listener write in. We had several write in. They were very excited to hear from you. Uh, but one of them, Co-op Mode, says, uh, in regards to xCloud, do you expect games that are not on Game Pass but that you own to ever be incorporated into the service, meaning you can stream stuff, stream stuff that you own even if it's not a part of Game Pass. Well, I think they've haven't. I believe they've already announced that, right? That anything that's on your console, as long that uh, you can stream from your console. So I, I think that's a thing. And then the you know the Game Pass bit is just you'll be able to just stream any anything from Game Pass. But I, I think that that. The answer to that person's question is that it's already already happening, I, I believe. I think the tech is there for the console streaming. I, I wonder if they'll give you the full cloud service versus the, you know, whatever they've got preloaded onto those racks of Xbox One S's or Series right. X's at the time. I think that was probably the question uh, that he was going with there. Um, one of the, the more difficult things I would have to imagine, Ryan, at, at working at IGN, is the amount of attention that you get and that sure. anything you can say can be picked apart uh, or, or misinterpreted as, as the Internet is wont to do. Uh, do you struggle with that either on unlocked or on unfiltered or just in your own like social media aspects? Yeah, I'm a human being. I absolutely do. I mean, I I do my best to to try and just let it scroll on by and and just but it but it. It does. I'm a, I'm a human being. It affects me. I mean, I know somebody like I don't know how Greg Miller does it. You know, he's yeah. got a million plus followers and he's always relentlessly positive. And I mean, I talk to him privately sometimes. And but, you know, it's I I, I definitely struggle with it at times. I mean, it's and believe me, I, this isn't I'm not looking for sympathy here. I'm very fortunate to work at a big website and and be and have a, a large platform. So that's it's it's part of the territory. It's it's that's part of the job. Um, now, you know, it's the good news is there's a lot of awesome enthusiasm and positivity that comes with that. But mm-hmm. yes, the the negativity comes with it. I mean, just I will I will tell you just recently, I would say like two weeks ago, I, I think I've done this now the last two, maybe three weekends. I've just particularly you know with the work from home situation, which, again, I'm extremely grateful that I am able to do my job from home, that I am able to continue to work. That's, that's not a privilege that everyone has, but mm-hmm. I have, uh, I have decided to complete, to just turn social media off and not, not go on Twitter on the weekends. And 
it just because I I'm, I'm I'm on all day. I mean, I'm plugged in all day working from home and and uh, I have found that beneficial to my mental health on the weekends of just just taking a little two day escape uh, before plugging back in on Monday morning. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's tough. I mean, people say a lot of things that that are not nice and they're or, and it, either directly personal attacks or just attacks on on your work or, or what have you, or sort of the, you know, incessant tribalism that, that runs rampant, not just in gaming, it's all over the internet, but certainly yes. in in gaming circles and yeah, it's not easy, but, um, you know, I've just, I try to take steps to, to not let it get me down too much when, uh, from time to time. But the good news is again, there are a lot of nice, super supportive, enthusiastic people out there too. I love hearing that, and I, I, I like knowing that you have somebody to go to, and, and Greg, and I know your careers uh, run very similarly in terms of your track record uh, as well. I remember it was, uh, we have cool friends that you did with him, and just seeing the parallels w- was neat. Yeah. Uh, do you find yourself, I don't know if mentoring is the right word, but do you find yourself guiding younger editors, be them at IGN or other gaming websites or platforms, do you find yourself offering similar advice to others? I mean... Uh, not in any sort of active capacity. If I, I certainly do my best to impart wisdom based on the experience I've accrued in you know select situations, like oh I remember this and the, you know but if there's no I wouldn't say I I'm like any sort of sage old old games media man that that sits on a you know sits in a on a on a throne or a chair that that people come and seek counsel from, but um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, I, I've seen a lot of stuff. So yeah, I, I'm able to kind of leverage that experience in not just with helping my team sometimes, but really, I, I think, I actually think that's one of the best, uh, qualities that I'm able to bring to my work specifically this year, covering Xbox and this console launch where, Compared to most other people in games media, like I've I've seen all of it, you know, from other than the I wasn't around in as a professional for the original Xbox launch. But, uh, you know, I've seen the, the all the rest. And so I can kind of bring a, a, a what I hope is a valuable historical perspective to what Microsoft is doing now. Certainly. And I would I would imagine you have. In fact, I've seen Unlocked itself go through changes over the years uh, due to to any number of factors and, and you've been there and, and consistent throughout something that mr badbit wrote in and asked was was he was celebrating the the incredible inclusion of people of color on unlocked and how exciting that was in, in recent weeks and he wanted to know in that idea of self-reflection and improvement uh what is it you think you can do better and and help continue providing voices to any and everyone throughout the gaming industry well, I think, I mean, for me, I, I've I've tried to use my platform, which is on a on a wide scale public regular basis, is unlocked. I mean, that is the show I am, for lack of a better term, the executive producer of it. I mean, I kind of I, I don't say this in a braggadocious way, but I kind of make the decisions with regard to what unlocked is and isn't, and so I can I can use that platform to uh, to try and bring in some new voices and some some ones from voices of people that don't don't look like me that didn't have the same upbringing as me or background as me uh, 
and that's it's been really valuable so far. I've uh, I've done my best to continue doing that. Um, we had uh, we had another guest uh, this just this week, so um, it's it's something I want to continue doing, and I think it's made Unlocked better, quite frankly. From from I mean there there is a I think there is a great value to the consistency of a of a of a show and having the same group of people that you get to know and and kind of connect with. But there is also a great value in hearing from those new voices uh, from different backgrounds and, and things. And so um, as it's kind of worked out where I've on a lot of on a number of weeks, whether it's Brandon has been he's been spearheading all of our Gamescom coordinating efforts to cover the the digital gamescom that's coming up and destin does a lot of behind the scenes work with our video production that of course obviously is all now work from home so those guys being busy and and being and not being available for the show has just given me a great opportunity to reach out and invite people like paris and people like khalif uh onto the show to to get that different perspective and and it's something that, that I very much plan to continue doing. And, and you know, as, as time goes on and, and we get back to normal and hopefully we're able to eventually grow IGN uh, from a staff perspective, we can, we can apply all these kind of new, uh, not new, but these just renewed uh, efforts to be more inclusive, to be more diverse. And we can we can we can hire to that effect uh, more than we have. I mean, I, I hope we've started down that path before, anyway, but to do better at it. So yeah, it's 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 definitely been a a very awakening, uh, a very enlightening summer in that regard. And and I'm just you know I'm doing the the thing that I have direct control over. I'm doing my best to try and use that as as a platform to help. Uh, help be a, a, a piece of, a part of the, the solution rather than the problem. Ryan, the smile on my face is extremely large. I know we have the cameras off, but I'm grinning ear to ear because Unlocked has accompanied me for years on any number of car trips, lunch breaks, uh, coming home on a tired day just to play some games and listen to something. And I love what you say. Consistency is important. And I notice it when Brandon's not there or Miranda's not there. I also enjoy when Mark shows up. And then the new voices that you've brought in have been wonderful. But I, do you know how many episodes of Unlocked you have hosted at this point? I, if I remember right, I might be off one. I can. I think my first episode, because I did one the day I started at IGN. I said, I grabbed Mitch Dyer and I forget who else it was at the time. I said, get come on in, let's go, let's do a podcast. Let's get this thing started. Um, cause I, you know, I had my own, my own ideas about the format and how it should be. And, uh, and of course, when you, <laughs> when you change it on a dime, a lot of people were like, get rid of this guy, Ryan, this, this is terrible. Bring back the way it was. But, um, you know, that's, that's, that's how it goes. People either, they either stop listening and they're, you know, they continue to not like what I'm doing or they, uh, they 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 get what I'm doing and they hang around. But I think 57 was my first one. And we yeah. just actually which means actually, if that's the case, we just did 456 today. So I'm coming up on my 400th. I mean, I guess I've had some vacations or illness, what have you from. But generally speaking, 
uh, I guess my 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 reign at Unlocked, uh, to, for lack of a better word, is just about to hit 400 episodes. That is that is so cool, and it's funny because I'm thinking that means for roughly eight years, I and many others have had insight into your life and into other hosts that have been on there, and and it's funny because I think about the growth that I've seen in in you all as creators and us as listeners. I, I'm aware of, of Maggie. I'm aware of, sure. of what's gone on. You know, I, I'm aware of Destin and him, him starting a family and listening to his loot drops and seeing Miranda grow. And change. it's there is a gift that you give listeners over time, and I thank you for that uh, because it's. I think it, it means more than than maybe you're able to tell through an email or through a soundbite or or anything else. That has to be. I hope you guys feel good about that as content creators at a level like IGN. Well, you're very kind to say that. And I guess for me, what I would say is, and I don't mean this to sound cold, but like I, I do the show that I want to do. As I said, I'm, I'm kind of the boss when it comes to unlocked. And so, you know, I, I, I don't actually really listen to other people's shows or, or other people's stuff. Cause I'm just super busy making my own, but mm-hmm. I kind of, uh, I just feel like I have a way that I want to do it. And and for better or for worse, that's how it's going to be. And and so for the for the people that have been along for the ride with me, like yourself, for a while, you know, it's it's very it's very uh, gratifying to hear for that that it's that it it does matter to people and that they do appreciate it over time. It, it does, and and I, I do, and I know many others do as well. Ryan, I need to let you go. I have one kind of fun final question for you. Sure. Uh, what do you look for? What are you playing right now and looking forward to playing over this fall? Obviously, Halo Infinite's gone, but there is so much to celebrate in the Gamerverse for all the frustrations that have been thrown our way in 2020. We have a lot to look forward to and enjoy right now. What are you playing and what are you looking forward to? Well, I will say, I mean, Halo was the game atop my list. I mean, it's Same. been five years. I'm a big Halo fan. That was Same. it. But, um, but that aside, yeah, it's it's going to be cyberpunk for me now. I was very lucky to play. Uh, I did w- one. Actually, we did two previews because we were able to get two of us in. But I did uh, our sort of main preview, hands-on preview, uh, was that in June. So I got to play the first four hours of it. And, I mean, I you can read my whole whatever 2,000-word thing on IGN. But, uh, yeah, it, it gave me... I said this in the preview, but I, so, you know, I told you earlier in the, the beginning of the interview that uh, I, that PC gaming was very formative and very important to me. And one of one of my all time favorite games from that era of PC gaming in the in the sort of mid to late 90s and early early 2000s was Warren Spector's Deus Ex, the original Deus Ex. Uh, I mean, the new ones have been good, too, but the original one is is just a, this Hall of Fame game, just this incredible seminal game. And um, honestly, Cyberpunk 2077 reminds me more of that game than any game ever has. And, and that is the one of the highest compliments I can possibly pay it. So, yeah, Cyberpunk's going to be, I think, my big game this fall. Um, I'm I have the I'm I have the very good problem of trying to decide I just have to figure out what I'm going to play it on because uh, I just got a new gaming PC. I'd had uh, it had been five years. My my gaming rig was was getting some cobwebs on it from a technological perspective. 
So now that we're working from home for the foreseeable future, I thought, okay, now's the time. I got to bite the bullet and get a new rig put together. And so uh, I've got a brand spanking new. I mean, it's not total top of the line. I mean, my my budget was I, it was about an eighteen hundred dollar build. So I kind of was aiming for like mid to high, like the higher end of the the middle. Um, but anyway, it's I'm now well equipped on the PC gaming side. So I'm trying to decide: do I want to play Cyberpunk on the new PC or the Series X? And and the I guess the Series X release date might dictate that because. There's uh, there's the kind of I don't even know if it's quite called a rumor, but there's the there's this uh, the packaging from the Series X and S controllers that that's uh, the the shipping boxes have the orange sticker on them that say do not open until uh, November 6th. So, okay is is November 6th the the launch date for Series X? And if it is, that means it's a good that's a good couple weeks before cyberpunk which would mean okay well gee i just which one am i gonna play it on i don't know so i don't know that, that's a good that, problem to have but that packaging bothered me so much ryan because <laughs> i had predicted uh november 7th 117 right would have been the day it would have yeah been the day, if, man. if halo had come yeah that would have been cool um but yeah and then now i'm still i'm still chipping away at ghost of tsushima fantastic game really enjoying that um and then, yeah, just kind of, we'll see what hits my desk. I'm, I just, I'm doing a lot of preview work uh, as that's keeping me busy. And then my, my Tesla podcast keeps me busy at, on the side as well. So, no shortage of fun things to, to, uh, to do and to play. I'm cheating because we did have a question about Tesla. Uh, do you see what, what, what racing game do you want to see Teslas in most coming up? Well, there's, I mean. With no disrespect to Gran Turismo, Forza, I think, is pr- far and away now the best car video game on the planet. Uh, respect to motorsport, but I'm specific. I'm a Horizon guy. I think Forza Horizon is the best car game of at least the last 10 years, maybe longer than that. So if we're even going to – I don't even know what's – if Horizon – I imagine it's going to continue, but like – motorsport is getting rebooted and it's not out for a while. So does that mean, are we going to get a regular horizon five sooner than that? Or if is motorsport going to be kind of the new platform, the way that halo infinite is going to be kind of the platform for halo. And will there just be like a, a horizon thing you buy and play inside of that? So it's still a few years away. I mean, there are a lot of unanswered questions there. So uh, I don't know quite when, the next Forza is coming and in what form it'll take. But yeah, I, I very much would like to see uh, specifically the next generation Tesla Roadster, which is going to be out in uh, 2022. That car is basically a video game car in real life. So it would be really good to see it in a video game. Oh, that's exciting, man. That's so exciting. Ryan McCaffrey, host of Podcast Unlock, executive editor, edit, editor over at IGN. Thank you for joining me for this episode. I could not have enjoyed it more. I appreciate your time. Happy to be here, Luke. Thanks so much for having me. Let everybody know where they can find you, my friend, and where you would direct them for your content. Sure. You can follow me on Twitter if you like, at DMC underscore Ryan. And then you were kind enough to already mention Podcast Unlocked and IGN Unfiltered, which are my uh, weekly and monthly, respectively, shows that I do for IGN. 
And those are both on YouTube, if you prefer there, or podcast, all the major podcast services as well.